0: Hey, I'm Jay. I'm pastor on staff here on the Erie campus. Like Gary said earlier today, um, Tom has COVID. So yesterday, Tom has called me and said, hey, Jay, can you fill in for us? And I said, yeah, why not? What a fun time to be able to preach and to teach and to share with the people of God, what God's doing around the world and around here as well. Hey, for the fathers out there, I hope you have a great day. Get a fresh cup of coffee, a donut, um, a piece of beef jerky out there in the lobby. Has uh, Swanson, Ron Swanson says uh, beef jerky is like a meat raisin. <laughs> and so, um, for those, I don't want to spoil all the presents for you. But if you're in, your kids are in Calvary Kids right now. They're going to come out. So with a, a gift and a piece of beef for you as well. So. <laughs> Don't double up, okay? I know some of you are going to want to double up because you didn't eat breakfast, but don't double up. Um, But I hope you have a great Father's Day. We're going to have a great Father's Day Um, at my house. I'm looking forward to it. As Thomas was talking to me yesterday, he's like, hey, I can forward you Tom's notes. And I said, you know, Thomas, there's a metaphor in the Bible about that where someone tried to put on someone else's armor and it didn't work out. And that's David and Goliath, if you don't know that metaphor. And I said, you know what? Um, he's like, you should listen to a sermon. So if you want to listen to Tom's sermon about John the Baptist, part one, to get ready for next week, because Lord willing, like James says, Lord willing, right? Tom will be here next week, healthy, ready to go for part two of John the Baptist. But if you want to listen to Tom, it's online because he preached it last week in Boulder. <laughs> so if you're like Jason, do a good job. You can check out Tom. But I'm so excited to be with you, thrilled to be with you to open up the Word of God, to look at this unsung hero, unfamiliar acts of faith we can imitate, character traits of God we can trust. It's a great series, isn't it? Super fun. But we're going to look at John the Baptist for two weeks. So let's dive in, but before we dive in, let me pray. Let me pray for Tom. Actually, you know what just happened in worship? Jeff Purcell texted me. He is on the Brazil trip. Um, And they're in the airport, and he says, Tell Calvary. He's like, I know you're in church. Tell Calvary that uh, the trip has gone great. The Lord has moved, and to uh, just thank the Lord for all his goodness on that trip. And let's pray for that as well. Lord, we do come to you um, first and foremost because uh, you're Lord, and we are not. You're God. You have the character, the holiness, the rightness that separates us from you. You're the sustainer of our lives. We ask that in today's mercy you would give Tom quick healing with COVID, that you would be with him this weekend as he's away from us but present with you, that uh, he would find joy in the midst of uh, this season and that you would uh, heal his body quickly that there's people in our lives around our workspaces and our homes and our family members that are still dealing with COVID, and god that you would protect them as well and that you would bring about uh great health father we do we repent let us out of this great tragedy of this virus heal us heal our land heal our nation Lord, you, only you can do that. Lord, also we, we rejoice with uh, Brazil. Thank you so much for the faithfulness you've shown us and them. Thank you so much for uh, sustaining them and blessing their work this week. We're excited to see them, give them safe travel today um, through the airports and customs and all the things they have to accomplish today and that you would just be their God and they would be your people Lord, uh, we, we are so grateful for today. It is a gift. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to invite you to open up your word. I don't have any slides, so you're going to actually open your Bibles today. So grab one in front of you. Grab your smartphone, tablet. Get caught up on Instagram real quick while I preach. But no, you know, this is a great Sunday, so open up your Bibles. We're going to be in John mostly, and then we're going to be in some Luke and Isaiah. So... Uh, Get ready, folks. It's going to be a blast. What does your life point to? That is a question we all need to ask. Or maybe a better question is, what do you want your life to have been about? When it's all said and done, when they lay you in the ground, what do you want your life to be about? John answers this question for us with John the Baptist in some ways. John the Baptist is a a strange character in our Bibles. Actually, he had older parents who had trouble having kids. And um, there was sort of an amazing thing that happened in John's birth narrative in Luke. And what happens in John's birth narrative is that his dad was serving in the temple. He was a Levite. And uh, he had an encounter with the angel of God. And in this encounter, the angel of God told that John would be set apart in some ways, distinct in some ways. He would be distinct because he wouldn't touch alcohol the rest of his life. That he would take this thing called a Nazarite vow. It's an interesting Old Testament vow that individuals took in order to be set apart for the rest of their lives. And he said that the Holy Spirit would be with John from his womb. And then, to top it off, he stops John's dad from talking. He becomes mute until John is born and until they actually put a tablet in front of John's dad and ask, what do you even want to name your son? And as he wrote down his son's name, John, he began to talk again. And it's confirmed, in, actually, in the birth of John and Jesus as well, is that uh, one time... Elizabeth, John's mom, and Jesus' mom, Mary, met up, and because John was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, like the angel of the Lord said, John uh, leapt in the womb. His mom felt him leap in the womb with the presence of Jesus when they're both in utero, which is an incredible story and confirmation, even from the very beginning of John's ministry. And so we find John, in actually the gospel of John, John 1, uh, being set apart and on mission. And his life telling us something as individuals. Telling us that um, he was here for a purpose. Just like you and I are. And so when we read in John 1, do want you to turn there with me. We see in verse... Twenty-three. He answers a question that the people of the temple and the religious elite of Jerusalem sent individuals to test John and ask John, John, who are you? Why are you so important? Why are people gathering you? Why are you gathering disciples? Why are you doing these things out in the wilderness where John was doing a ministry of preparing the way of the Lord and baptizing individuals? And they, they want to know, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no. Are, are you? Are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you a prophet? He says, no. And he answers them this way. He says in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path. Make straight the way of the Lord. See, John understands something about himself. Probably because of his special, unique birth, right? If you were John growing up, I'm sure your family told you this story time and time again. I'm sure your village and your, your family members and extended family sort of knew this story of John. So it's not that big of a leap for John to actually know what he's about because he's had some clarity from his birth, right? Right? But John has this ministry that he wants to clarify. His goal is, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. It's a verse in actually Isaiah. And if you want to turn with me, we're going to be there for a second. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is an incredible passage. I just love this passage. Uh, If you have some time this week, you know, if you want to mark this in your Bible, dog ear, whatever you need to do to make sure. But Isaiah 40 is just an incredible passage about sort of the Messiah and what's to come in the world. And John quotes the Isaiah the prophet who has been uh, uh, available for his reading and for the public worship for over several hundreds of years. And, uh, and Isaiah says this, in the wilderness, this is verse 3, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough place a plain. And catch this, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John quotes an Old Testament Prophecy about the forerunner of the Messiah. Someone who was going to make the valleys and the, the ways smoothed out in order for the Messiah to come. And John already sees this in himself as he's doing his ministry in his later years after all this time has passed between his birth and now the, the commissioning and the kingdom of God coming down. To earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And John knows that this is sort of who he is, what he needs to be about. You know, identity is so important to our human journey. For John, it was so, for John the Baptist, it was so important. For us, it's so important as well. I remember, okay, I wanna tell you a story. I was 23 when someone first offered me drugs. I was 23 years old. That seems pretty old, doesn't it? In comparison. But I remember the day. I mean, I had come to know the Lord at 17, and he had been so kind to me to protect me, to watch over me, even in my sin. And I was 23. I had graduated Bible college. And I was out in Joplin, Missouri, playing disc golf one day. It was like a random day. You know, I was sort of post-college. I was working at Applebee's. I was doing really nothing with my life yet. And I was playing disc golf one day, and these two guys come up, and they're like, hey, can we play in? And I'm like, yeah, sure, in the middle of the Thursday afternoon. It was hot and muggy. I remember that. And we play a few holes, and then we're on the backside of the golf course, and they, they're like, hey, you want a joint? And I'm like, no, I do not want a joint. No, I don't. And I was so stuck, struck by them asking me to do drugs. Like no one had ever asked me to partake in drugs. And here I was at 23 years old, because of the grace of God, let's just be honest, that I um, didn't say yes to drugs. So we finished disc off and it was an awkward exchange because you know they wanted to and I didn't. And we played the round and then I got in my car and the first thing I did was call my mom. She's like, what's up? I was like, mom, you won't believe, I just said no to drugs. And <laughs> she was like, I, okay, I'm glad the D.A.R.E. program worked for you. <laughs> I remember it so vividly. And, you know, part of that, the ease of saying no to drugs, part of the real ease of saying no to drugs was this. I remember in my family the importance of saying no to drugs through our upbringing. I remember, you know, if you're a 90s kid, they had these horrible drug-free commercials at the most inappropriate and awkward times with your parents in the room, you know, and it was like an egg, this is your egg on drugs, and they would smash it, or there would be like this destitute of a like kitchen and you know, all this type of stuff, and my dad would go, Jay, yeah, yeah, dad, I knew this was coming, I I knew this was coming every time. He's like, Jay, you gotta say no to drugs, right? Yeah, dad, commercial told me too. It's like, all right, every time, every time. So when he came to 23 years old, when someone asked me to do drugs, guess what? It was so easy, it was in my identity that I was a person who didn't do drugs. John has his identity wrapped up into his dad's story and his parents' story and to God's story. And this identity is so important for us to understand. He makes his choices based upon identity. We make our choices based upon our own identity. Now, the world says our identity is wrapped up in our sexual preferences, our professional lives, our social media posts. God says our identity is rested in him. We are His children. Why, why would you want to even do some of these things because you're God's child? There's nothing to prove. there's nothing. To say there's nothing needed to be done. It's just a simple of a matter of fact. You're God's children. This is really important on Father's Day. I know that so many of us don't have great fathers. But we have an earthly father who's perfect. And his identity, he wants to press upon you. He wants to give it to you so that you can rest assured in what he says about you, not what you say about yourself. We have some great fathers in this room. Can I say on Father's Day, you must press into these relationships. No matter if you have failed a million times, no matter if you have avoided a million times, the identity in which you need to press upon your kids from zero to 99 years old there is no there's no way in which you can go about your life without pressing in on giving them what it is to be a part of your family no matter if you've failed a million times today is the day where you can start and press in on giving your children no matter if they're young no matter if they're in elementary school, middle school, high school, no matter if they're out of the house, no matter if they have grandkids, no matter if you have great-grandkids, no matter if you don't have any kids at all, press into these individuals their identity, which is your identity in Christ. Children of God. John the Baptist knows who he is because his dad told him that. He knows who he is because the Holy Spirit has carried him, belonged in that. The intentionality of this identity is super important, not only for John's life, but for our lives as well. Okay, there's an identity piece here. There's also... There's also an aspect of insight that John has. Turn with me to John here again in the next day. So John has declared this, he's told people the next day he sees Jesus coming, verse 29. He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, "Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Now John Insight with Jesus was to put all things right and to declare all things that were coming. So the next day, the day two, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. He knows by insight who Jesus is. And very on in our reading of the Gospel of John, we're getting prepped to understand who Jesus is and to follow him through his whole story as we remember what John is telling us. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's taken the sins of the world. And John knows this as well with this insight. And he wants to make sure we all understand. He says, this is whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, Because he was before me. John knows his place in the world. He knows who Jesus is going to become. Who Jesus already is. He knows what it's going to take for the people, for us, for you and me as we read the gospel of John. As he proclaims that day outside the Jordan who Jesus was. He understands by insight of who Jesus is. This is a key ingredient to John's own story. He knows that he is supposed to be the front runner to this Messiah, this, this Lamb of God. And it begs the question for us is do you know this Lamb of God? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand the implications that he is the one who takes the sins of the world away? You know, this week I, I hung out with the Haitian pastors from Step Seminary. The leadership team was here because of your generosity. In December, they got to retreat from Haiti, which is absolutely nuts and crazy right now. And they got to come to Colorado, and they had a leadership training and sort of some rest this week here at Calvary. And so I had the opportunity to hang out with them quite a bit, which was super fun. But on Thursday, we took them top golfing in the middle afternoon. We all needed a break. They had been in. Sessions. They had been uh, examining the scriptures. They just needed a break. Do something that they've never done before. So on Thursday afternoon, I, I I helped Haitians swing a golf club for the very first time, and I saw and I showed them how to inject a injectable donut. You know the donut holes that had the syringes of jelly you inject. They thought that was fantastic. just had <laughs> a blast. We laughed really hard, and their cell phones were out to take video of all their swings to send back home. It was hilarious. But as I was sitting there with one of them, we talked about what we have in common. What are, what are we doing in the world that is in common? No matter what our cultural situation is, we both have the ministry of Jesus Christ before us. His story that both in Haiti and in Erie, Colorado, We say, Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. It's our story. It's part of that identity. It's part of the things that make us who we are. It helps tell our story for generations to come. That you and I are not a part of something that's new. We're part of something that's old. Something that God has been doing long before us. And will continue... By his will to do long after us. That as we sit, even in Calvary Bible Church, we're not the newest and we're not the greatest and we're not the only generation to ever sit in Calvary Bible Church. God has been doing something for a very long time, and that you and I get to participate in it. We get to declare that Jesus Christ, he was crucified, he died. He was buried, and he rose again. And John sees that on this day. Do we see it? Do we walk around? Does our heart rejoice every second of the day? Do we see every conversation as a place in which we can say, Behold, the Lamb of God. We point to someone else besides us. We point to something greater than us we get to participate in telling this story because it's our story it's the way in which we move now i know there's many in the room that feel far from god but i'm going to tell you friends he is so near so many feel like they're inadequate before god i can tell you friends he is sufficient in all that he does and says about who he is. Some of us feel like there's some sin in our lives that we'll never been able, never be able to wipe away. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. The past, the present, and our future sins. And this harkens back to exodus right that fateful night where god preps the people of god and says find a lamb without blemish find a spotless lamb and slaughter it and take its blood and put its blood on your doorpost and shut your door and do not open it until morning and there the judgment of god for pharaoh and his house and all the firstborns of all of egypt took place And John is saying, remember, this is it. That was a once and only thing, but we have the living Lamb of God in front of us. Behold him. Look at him. It's the greatest story of all time. I love a great story, don't you? I love great stories. I'm intrigued by great stories. And as we read from literature and comic books and graphic novels and movies as we tell stories and we hear stories on podcast forms, There's so many great stories out of here. But this is the greatest one ever told. This is the one that goes beyond all our wildest imagination. And it's true. And John sees it that day. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's incredible. When we hear that, we should jump out of our seats. We should proclaim it from the rooftops. We should be about it around the lunch table today or the dinner table. We should think about it as we log into our work emails. We should meditate on it as we drive from here to King Supers. Wherever we go, we must think about this, that we behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world? That was the insight John saw with Jesus. But that wasn't done with John. He had instructions as well. The following day, the third day, Jesus shows up again. Following me back into the text, it says, in verse 33, 35, sorry, the next day, again, John was standing with his two of his disciples. And he looked up and he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So he says it again. He says it again out of his identity, out of his his investment and instruction and the the beauty of all that is culminating with John. He says this, the insight of John says, behold, the Lamb of God with his two disciples standing by. In verse 37, the two disciples Heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John pointed again to Jesus the next day. He said the same phrase, behold the Lamb of God, with his two disciples among the midst. And they leave John, and they follow Jesus. Because John is living out of his instructions on earth, what he knows he needs to be about. It's the identity piece. He said it about Isaiah that he was only the forerunner, he was only making as straight as possible the way to Jesus. And now, that Jesus had come, it was time for him to hand off his very own disciples, those who followed him, those he knew, those he trusted, those who had become best friends, those that he had done ministry with, those that he would seen the works of God with, and said, no, 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 he's greater. And they followed Jesus. Not only are we supposed to see the inside of what Jesus has done for us, But we have some instructions as well. We're to go and make disciples of Jesus. Disciples who do not follow us, but follow Jesus. Time and time again, we read that these people that had encounters with Jesus were totally changed by just the mere presence of him. Of seeing him. And that they gave up everything and followed him. John is an unsung hero because he points to the hero. He points to the true hero of the story. I don't know if you've read your Bibles lately, but if you read your Bibles from cover to cover, you're going to discover something. There's not a lot of heroes in the scriptures. There's a lot of men and women who live out of faithfulness, who stumble towards knowing God and experiencing God and obeying God. But then a lot of them are not real heroes. There's very few of them, actually. Very few of them. And that's on point. That's part of the point. It's because this is to prepare our hearts to see the true hero, which is Jesus Christ. And in his story, he does not disappoint. He does not f- fall flat on his face. He does not sort of mess up or stumble, but he fulfills exactly what God has been trying to do over a very long period of time, redeem his people and to, by sending his very own son. And John sees this with his identity. He sees this in his insights. He sees this with his instructions that he is supposed to hand off his ministry to Jesus. And that's an incredible and probably a hard task for John to do. The times he would have spent by the Jordan. I mean, for Pete's sakes, he's a guy who lives <laughs> in camel hair and he's locusts and wild honey. Like, this guy is crazy, right? He's done it all. He's sacrificed it all. He's lived in this calling. He's navigated these religious leaders, and now it's time to hand it off to the real hero of the story, Jesus. And it's what we've been doing at Calvary for over 130 years, making disciples. Finding people who are willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, letting them walk with us, and then letting them walk with Jesus himself making disciples over and over again. You know, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest joys you could ever do here at Calvary is make disciples, and there's so many easy ways to make disciples around here. Let me tell you, you can show up in the nursery and hold babies, and you're making disciples. Now some of you are like, good thing, I'm not doing that, I don't wanna change a diaper. You don't have to change a diaper to make disciples around here. There's so many easy ways. You can show up in the two-year-old room, and do snack time with them. And sing little worship songs with them. And tell them that Jesus loves them. And make disciples around here. That is easy. And if the preacher goes long, I'll give you a pro tip. Double snacks. There's round two, okay? We're going to sit back down at the table and eat some more. Because the preacher's going long today. There's so many ways to make disciples. She makes disciples around... Uh, Chaos, which is our middle school ministry on Sunday night, you can go and show up and play nine square or gaga ball or show up in some little teenager's life who smells a little funny because they haven't discovered don't, uh, deodorant yet and tell them Jesus loves you. And you can point them who Jesus is and make disciples around here. You can show up to the high school ministry Invest in high schoolers. Be curious of what they're doing, what's in their world. They need people outside of their parents that have voices that say, make a disciple here. Follow Jesus. Be a disciple maker. There's so many ways around Calvary. Easy, easy ways to make disciples around here. You can start a men's study, a woman's study. You can invest in those ministries and make disciples and just say, behold, the Lamb of God. I don't know anything else, but I know that if you behold the Lamb of God, your life will be changed. Maybe that's how we make disciples around here. There's so many ways. Get invested. Build community. Make disciples like John did. Pass them off to Jesus over and over again. In your own families, you got your kids, make disciples. I know you feel inadequate. I feel so inadequate. The only thing I know how to do right now is fold laundry, because I'm doing a lot of that these days with my kids. But make disciples. You got grandkids. You got grandkids here in the state of Colorado, you are blessed. Invest in them and make disciples. You got grandkids on other ends of the world, make disciples. Invest in them. Show them, behold, the Lamb of God. You got great grandkids, make disciples. You have no kids, make disciples. Make disciples who follow Jesus. That is who, what John's instructions were, and those are our instructions as well. Sometimes when you have the insight that Jesus loves you and that you're forgiven and you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that the Lord is, is true and he's right and he is Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. I understood this um, pretty early in ministry. I met a, a girl I just thought of her the other day, Emily. And Emily had a really hard time coming out of college. And she was showed up in the local church. And I hung out with her. And I was trying to show her that Jesus was the way. And that her life and her, her story could be different. And she came to accept Jesus as the one who forgave her sins. She did. She she confessed with her mouth. She believed in her heart that Jesus rose from the dead. But then the hard part came, and that was being a disciple, following Jesus, actually making him Lord. And I remember those days with Emily and the conversations with her, and she was like, Jay, this is just so hard. There's so many things I have to give up. And I kept saying, no, there's so many things you get. And it reminded me of that quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Grace is free, but discipleship costs. Following Jesus for John was really hard eventually. And Tom's going to talk about sort of the second part of John's story next week. And sort of the hardship he encountered while he was following And pointing the way to Jesus. But for Emily, it was just too much. And it wasn't worth it. And as we look into John's story, we realize it's so worth it. It's so worth it to think about becoming a disciple. Someone who mimics and looks and apprentices the way of Jesus We look at John and we say, okay, Jesus, how can I step into what John was doing? He was an unsung hero, and someday, Lord willing, I will be an unsung hero in someone else's life. And when we look at John's story, we see that beholding the Lamb of God requires you to follow him as well. And he hands off his two disciples And they go on one of the greatest adventures in all of human history that we get to read about in the Gospels. So John, the unsung Hebrew, a man who might look strange and be different and have a unique calling, but his identity, his insight, and his instruction can be our our identity, our insights in our instruction. And I really, really hope that next week, Tom will be able to open up the second half, part two. You don't want to miss this. Part two of John's story as we look at him as one of our unsung heroes. Pray with me. Father, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. We've been singing that this morning about the goodness of God. We've been proclaiming that this morning. We've been looking at it at John as he says, behold the Lamb of God. And we want to behold you. We want to look at you. We want to be people transformed by our encounter and our experience with the living Christ. And just like John gave to his disciples, that we would follow you, Jesus. Help us to do that. We love you, Lord. We love you. Help us to love you. In your name we pray. Amen.